This message was recorded at Vision Baptist Church in Alfred, Georgia. It is our prayer that you will be blessed by the preaching of God's Word. Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13. We are going to talk about some parables today. What you just saw was a parable, alright? And uh, we'll talk about that today. It's fitting for me when I saw that. Uh, that was done by Empty Lion Productions and we have the president and founder um, over here, Randy Clapp. If you'll raise your hand, those that don't know Randy, Jonathan's son there. And uh, he put that together. That awesome goofiness is his, uh, resp- he's responsible uh, for that. I love that video because being from Kentucky, when I say parable, it sounds like I'm saying parable. And so, one, I thought it was fitting. And then, two, um, it, um, I, I was talking to Randy the other day. We were texting back and forth. And I said, what does it mean? And I told him what I thought it meant. And he said, sure, it sounds good. Whatever you, whatever you want it to mean, it can mean for you. I, I said, I see the relationship maybe... Teenagers have a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend and they, they really act like they love it and then they just break up and they just move on. There's so many applications. But if you want to know a parable, then you've got to know who, who told the story and you've got to also know what is the information of the people that are listening to the parable already have. Because it's not giving new information, but it's, it's gathering their thoughts around something and it has one main point. In a parable, you have one main point as compared to an allegory, and an allegory, everything has significance. If you read Pilgrim's Progress, the most famous of Christian literature of allegories, you're going to know that every part of the story has significance. Nothing's overlooked. But in a parable, it has one driving point, and we've got to see it. So we're looking at some parables today. We're going to look at three. We're going to group two of them together, then we'll leave the other one to itself. And then after Jesus gives the parable to them, He's going to talk to them about their relationship to the Word and their responsibility as scribes and as people that study the Word. And then he's going to give them some encouragement and say, I'm not accepted in my own house and my own people, and you shouldn't expect to be either, but you have a responsibility uh, to it. There's 40 parables in the Bible, and all of them are told by Jesus in the Gospels, and it's all of them are giving us some understanding about the kingdom. The same point is about the kingdom being looked at in different Uh, directions. And we have three here uh, today uh, for our reading. But before we get to reading the whole passage, I'm going to read a few verses um, for you. But if you'll see here in the passage in verse number 51, before we start in verse 44, but in verse 51 it says, Jesus saith unto them, Have you understood all these things? And they say unto him, Yea, Lord. He was in a house, He was teaching, a large crowd came, and he went out to the sea, and he's teaching there. And he gives some parables. He gives a parable about the sower, the seed, the wheat, and the tare. And then he goes back into his house, and the disciples follow. And so now they're in a living room setting, and they have questions for Jesus. And they say, that last parable you gave, we don't really understand. Can we get the bonus session on it? Can we get a little bit more understanding of what you meant by that? And Jesus elaborates and tells. And in the majority of parables, it's given and then they ask questions and he elaborates. The first two we have here, we don't have that happening, but know that he is meeting with his disciples. So it ought to challenge us to know here that he is teaching on the gospel in a room, in a living room with people that should understand it. For the last several weeks now, when you come in here on Sunday morning, you've been hearing a message that is calling unbelievers to repentance. And you say, well, maybe because it's Sunday morning and that would be a good thing to do because it's the largest gathering of our church uh, throughout the week. And any time there'd be a gathering like this, giving the gospel and a chance to respond would be a good idea. But that's not it. Or maybe you say, well, Trent's been, when he's teaching, he, 
He loves to preach the gospel and share the gospel, and so maybe he's finding that every Sunday morning. And even though that could be true, that's not the case. It's because we are going through the book of Matthew, and this is what Jesus is teaching. But not just on the seashore, but also in the living room with his disciples. He wants to say, do you get it? Do you get what I'm talking about? Do you understand the truths that are embodied in this parable? Because I'm going to leave soon, and if you don't get it, then this world's going to be in trouble. Do you get it? At the end of the sermon of the day, I'm going to ask you, do you get it? Do you get what Jesus is saying? Do you fully embrace what he is saying here? Earlier this week, I went to the viewing uh, for Miss Cook. Um, LG um, um, was her uncle, and he passed away. And when we opened up um, the door, me and Pastor did, as soon as we opened up that door, you never know when you're going to a funeral home what to expect, and you pray before you go in, and you want to minister to the family. But as soon as we opened that door, you know what we heard? We heard laughter. Not irreverent laughter, like this isn't a big deal, but laughter like death is not a big deal. Laughter like we know where our uncle is at. Laughter like we are God's people, and so we understand the truths about the gospel. And they talked about his life, and they shared, and they knew, and they were grateful that a person that was deserving of hell, like all of us, was now in heaven, and so they would rejoice because of what is did. And they got it. And that's the first thing I thought when I opened up that door was, they get it. These people, uh, they get it. Isn't that our prayer, that at our funeral, on our day, when we pass away, there'll be a room full of people, and they just get it. And I've seen that over the last year on several uh, different um, occasions here. And so let's see, let's make sure we get it today. We're going to look at verses 40 through, 44 through 46 to get started. And we're going to look in this passage, we're going to look about an incredible treasure. And in the next one, we're going to look at an inescapable Net. Verse number 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure. See that? Again, the kingdom of heaven, meaning that all these parables continue about this kingdom of heaven here. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hid in a field, that which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls. When, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and given us understanding. As we are students of your word, Lord, I pray that we will celebrate and enjoy and understand these truths. But not only will we leave here grateful of these truths, but we will go out into this world and we will share what we get, what we understand about you. So I ask that you'll be with us today, Lord. I pray that you'll remove me from the equation, that they will hear from you and from your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we have the two parables here, and I said we're going to put them together because they're highlighting this one point. It's likened to a treasure. We're talking about the value here um, of the treasure. So when you read a parable, you need to get the context of the story. You need to try to understand as much as you can about the story that's created. And then from there, you get your earthly meaning, and then you're going to look for the heavenly meaning in it. So the first thing you need to think about is that it was during a time where there was no banks like we have them. You didn't go and start a checking account for $100 or if you were a college student. If they had something valuable, they were going to keep it with them. And they were living in a time where they would be invaded. Um, We are thankful that we live in a time where war is not fought here, but it's fought um, on enemy territory. But they didn't have that luxury. They didn't have that benefit. And so they always had to be prepared 
that somebody may come in and invade. And so where maybe somebody came in and they went and they buried their treasure and then they ran hoping to come back, but it never happened. They never reclaimed the land. They didn't make it out of the battle. And they, they never get to come back and get their treasure because they were invaded. And we don't know here. So the man, he's, he's doing his work, going around. He doesn't have a metal detector. He's working in a field. Maybe he's plowing. He's doing something because he digs it up. It's not on the surface, but he's doing a hard type of work that gets down into the ground. And in doing so, he finds this treasure and he sees the value of it, and then he leaves where he's at and goes off and sells everything that he has to come back and buy the field, and inside of that field is a treasure. And this isn't case law here for about finding something on somebody's property. We're not teaching ethics here. If you find something on my property, ring the doorbell and tell me about it, okay? Um, that's not what's being taught here, where the focus is on the value um, of the treasure and so he went and he sells everything he has. And could you imagine this man in the parable was willing to sell, to pawn off anything he had. He runs into the house and he runs into the house. And not only does he grab maybe his grandfather's watch, thinking this in modern day terms here, and goes to the pawn shop and pawns off his grandfather's watch, he goes to his wife and says, hey, can you come outside for a minute? She comes outside and she, he sells the house. There's a real estate person on the front porch and she walks out. She says, I need to get a few things. Don't worry about it. It was in the sale. Every, nothing was off limits because he had seen the value in the treasure and he knew anything that he had was worth selling off so that he could have what he needs to go and buy the treasure. I remind you here, it's not an allegory, it's a parable, and that's the main focus here of this treasure here. The kingdom here is the same as reconciliation with God through the work of Christ. We recognize Him as King, that we live in a kingdom. Lupe said something online this week about how she was thinking about how we live by a higher law, that, we have, um, that we're not just citizens of this country, but we live by a higher law. And that's true because we are now members of of a kingdom. We honor this government because the kingdom told us to do so. And so we've entered into this kingdom and we know that entering into that kingdom, the means of reconciliation are far beyond anything else that we could ever have. There's nothing, there's no price that you could put on it. We are not purchasing our salvation. Luke twelve thirty two makes it very clear. It says, Fear not, little flock, for as it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So you don't sell everything that you have to purchase your salvation. We pay nothing towards our salvation, not because we would not be willing to give all we have, but because we have nothing of value to give. I hope you grab a hold of that. It's not that we weren't willing to give everything that we have for so great a salvation. It's that we just didn't have anything of value to take to the pawn shop to bring to him for it. But when Jesus comes to you and he says, take up your cross, let the dead bury the dead, hate your mother and your father and your family, and we said, for the treasure that is found in Jesus, everything is willing to go away because we have found incredible treasure in Jesus. And we found joy. And we give all of this up for joy. Verse number 44, and for the joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he has. In finding the treasure, he's pursuing joy. He says, this treasure brings incredible joy, and I'm going to pursue having this joy. Paul tells us a New Testament correlation to what's going on here. Paul suffers all the loss of all these things that he may gain Christ. 
All these, this is identical reality in Philippians chapter number 3, 7 and 8. He says, all the things that I have, I count dung as castaway, as nothingness in comparison to, of, of Christ, of having that salvation. What's Jesus' response to Peter? Jesus was speaking to Peter one day in Matthew chapter number 19, 27 through 29. And Peter's kind of complaining here. And he says, we have forsaken everything to follow you. And this is what Jesus says to him. He says, and everyone that hath forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my namesake shall receive a hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. Well, he said, Peter, you gave up nothing. You did not give up anything. Look at what you are gaining in Christ. You know, our actions and our attitudes towards what we have is a reflection of our understanding of what we've been offered. As Brother John talked about there, that contentment and we fight for. And I love the analogy of his three. He knew he was going to work his grandchildren in every offering devotion from here on out. That one made sense. Someday he may have to stretch a little bit. And so can you see there, Natalie is at an age where she knows how to I have this in my hand, but that looks better. I'll set this down, and I will get it. And uh, smaller kids don't know how to let that thing down. They want both things. They're like the, the monkey with their hand in the gourd. They can't let go of what they have in their hand. But she's able to say, I don't want this. I do want that. And so she goes around looking for something of greater value and says, what I have in my hand, it's no big deal in comparison to apprehending uh, this new thing. Could you imagine um, Eric and Rebecca here? They, they got engaged on Friday night, and then Eric he gets down on his knee, and he said he asked her to follow him, the, the coming to India or to the moon, to signing a blank check, saying, you're going to follow me wherever the Lord will lead. And she looks down, and she says, well, you got a ring and you got a nice smile, but what else are you bring to the table? You know, really, let's let's talk through this. And you probably, if you'd have known, you could have got a lot more out of him. He really loves you, and he was willing to sell off the family farm and pine log if he needed to. But could you imagine that? Would and he would walk away, right? Or at least that's what I would have told him to do. I'd say, run, abort the mission, get out of Dodge, because he was saying you don't know what you're being offered. And when you come to the gospel and you say, not now at a more convenient season, or I'll get some things straightened up, you don't know what you're looking at. You came upon a field, you stumbled upon a treasure, you think you found something, but you have no idea what you have found in, our, in Christ Jesus there. Mark 8 says that we'd be willing to lose our earthly life for Christ. That His love, and psalm, the psalmist says, that His loving kindness is better than life. Matthew 10 says, if we recognize who He is, we will love Him more than our mother or father. Luke 14 says we're willing to forsake all to be His disciple, as we talked about in Adult Bible Fellowship this morning. And so we have found joy in finding Jesus. We've learned the gospel. We have a friend named Doss that was in that India film, and he was a person out looking for truth. He went to the mosque, he went to the Hindu temple, he went anywhere he could, but then he said, when I found Jesus, I found all my answers. And he can't hardly say that because his smile is so big that he can't finish his sentence because his smile keeps growing and growing there. And so he was as a pearl merchant, going around looking for something, comparing things, but when he found the gospel, he says, this is above all things. And maybe you were going about your day life and then somebody confronted you with the gospel. You were at work. You were a little kid and somebody put you on a bus, took you to a vacation Bible school. You were going about your daily routine and you stumbled upon, you stumbled in quotations because it was the work of a holy God that placed that in your life. You came upon it and you said, 
everything that I've known up to this point has no meaning in comparison to what I am seeing. Hearing the gospel by faith is a loving act of our God. Psalms 37 verse number 4 says that we should delight ourselves in the Lord. Why was there a joy found in going after that treasure? Because we were supposed to delight ourselves in the Lord. Did you know that not delighting in the Lord was one of those sin that we were guilty of? Our nature caused us to not delight in the world. And if you find more joy in other things but profess to be a Christian, then you are something that, in which the Bible has no precedent and for something I personally can't understand. I cannot understand a person that professes to have understood the treasure, that has professed to know Jesus, and you find greater joy in anything outside of the gospel, and you will not find a creature like you in the New Testament. You will not find it anywhere because it's not the case for those that have found it. Without Christ, and I hope you believe this here with me, this truth has really nailed me to the floor this week. And it sounds harsh, and it sounds unloving, but every Christian in here, out loud or in your heart, must say amen to this. Without Christ, all our activity is simply fidgeting until we die. That nothing we have done outside of Jesus Christ was anything. We were sitting there, going back and forth, trying to get more comfortable in our seats, but we were just in a waiting war, waiting room, waiting for the day to die. That nothing in that life mattered at all. So we need, when we found the treasure, we recognized that we were ingrates on a cosmic level. You did not just do something here that would get Brother Clapp over here and his friends or the county to come out after you, not just the Georgia Patrol, not on a federal level, not an international crime with Interpol, but on a cosmic level, all of us in this room were found to be ingrates, to be found ungrateful. We did not delight ourselves in the things of the Lord. And in doing so, we said, we don't recognize who you are. We don't have to be taught that people being ungrateful, they're guilty of something, right? At a young age, if you do something for somebody and they don't say thank you, you know they're guilty. Nobody has to teach that to you. We know that ungratitude is a heinous crime against us. Therefore, we know in our heart that there is a God who we owe our heartfelt gratitude. Psalms 136, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good. His mercy endureth forever. Oh, give thanks unto the God of gods, for His mercy endureth forever. Verse 3, Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords, for His mercy endureth forever. What we have found in Christ, Isaiah 55, 1 and 2, talks about a person that thirsts. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, and come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye buy and eat. Yea, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in its fatness. Last Sunday I was at a church in Tekoa and they had a water fountain. And I was telling this to Brother Ty, they have plaques all over the church. And above the water fountain it says, If you drink from this fountain, you will thirst again. If you drink from the church water fountain. But we know when we drink from Christ that we were satisfied. Are you satisfied in here? Do you delight in Christ because you knew that you were once thirsty and you had something, you had this desire that couldn't be quenched, but you now have found an immeasurable treasure in Him, and He has satisfied you completely. You and I are once guilty on a cosmic level of being ungrateful people. 
But now that is not the case. We recognize God for who He is and what He has done for us. The laws that we have today for slander and libel go all the way back before the American Revolution. There's a trial called the Zinger Trial. That's a fun name, isn't it? Zinger. And the guy was guilty of um, slander, they said, against one of the governors of the colony. And Andrew Hamilton became his lawyer, became his counsel. And the case that was won because they decided that truth should be an absolute defense against libel charges. Basically saying if the thing that the guy said, he was a journalist, if what he said against the guy was true, even if it didn't make him look good, even if it hurt his reputation, that the guy could not be charged for it because truth is a defense against it. And it was said that this trial was the germ of American freedom, the morning star of liberty which subsequently went to the American Revolution because in British law it didn't matter if it was true or not. The governor had the power over there. But we said in America that if it's true, then the journalist can be defended by that. None of your thoughts towards God as an unbeliever were true. They were slanderous. When you lived every day without saying thank you and giving thanks unto him, you were slanderous. That you attacked the character of God. You made false accusations which were punishable by law. We needed Jesus to exchange lives for us. We haven't always been obedient. We did not always honor the Father. We have a track record of ungrateful, slanderous people until we found the treasure of being in Christ. Because he had a perfect track record. He always honored the Father. He always did what was right. We always did what was wrong. And the great exchange happened. And because of that, we have found him to be a treasure that is beyond any type of price. So believe We see here this parable that the kingdom is so valuable to us that everything in comparison now seems to be astonishingly insignificant. And so we should be willing. We should be willing that when we compare what we have in Christ to all these other things that matter, we should be willing. Then I'd like to quickly make one more mention here, sub to you, that's very much an important truth that is taught through the Scriptures. Well, I told you when we interpret or understand a parable, we understand we try to understand the person telling it, which is Jesus. We also try to understand what it is the disciples know. So we're in this transition here where the, the Jewish people, he's saying, it's this big transition. Here's your opportunity. They're rejecting him. They say, you have the spirit of Beelzebub. And then God is transitioning now. And he's saying that I'm going to reach out to the Gentile nations. I'm going to create the church of Jew and the Gentile. But I want to remind you here that God is not done with the children of Israel. He is not done with the Jewish people And many people here would see in this parable that the treasure would be the children of Israel and the field would be the world in which he purposed or the church in which he purchased to gain them. And Romans 11, all the way through the the chapter here, tells us that he did not cast away Israel, that Israel did not obtain the Messiah that they were looking for. They didn't believe in Christ and they were blinded. Israel as a nation was blinded. And because they failed and rejected Christ, salvation has come unto us Gentiles and that God is using us to provoke the Jews the jealousy and the salvation. And one day they will believe and turn to Christ as the deliverer that God is not done with these people. And I want to remind you of that. As we're in this transition here and we're moving away and you say God's He's done with them, He put them on the back burner, that is not the case. 
By no means. They're coming to Christ and they're seeing Him as a treasure and they're part of the church. But there's a time coming where God will say, I'm moving them back into their place and that the work of God will be done through these people. So don't think for a moment that He has cast them away. Next here we have the inescapable net. Again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a net that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind, which when it was full and they drew to shore and set down and gathered the good unto the vessel and cast the bad away. So shall it be at the end of the world that the angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just and shall cast them in the furnace of fire and there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. In the Bible, we have three types of fishing. The one that would be more common to us, the, the hook and the, the line and the sitting out there on the dock and fishing like that. You have another one that would be known to you where they would throw out a net. Now I remember doing that. Before we would do the hook and line type of fishing, we'd go out early, early in the morning, we'd throw out the net, we'd catch some shad for that type of fishing. But then there's a third kind that we're not as common by, and it would be that they would put the net upon the ship or on the boat, and they would take it out, and the, attaching it to the shoreline and to the boat, and at the top it would float, and at the bottom there would be weights, and it would go out, and it would circle in so that nothing would escape the net. All living creatures, plants, and everything, everything would be taken in this net, and they would bring it in. And as they bring it into the shore, they would take the fish, and they would put it in one direction, and they would take the things that were of no use, and they would cast it away, and they would burn it. So in this parable, it looks like we're seeing the wheat and the tare revisited. And the wheat and the tare, we learn that they grow together. They went out there and they said, why don't we just go ahead and pull up the wheat or the tares with the wheat right now? And the guy said, we can't do that. They have to grow together because if you pull up one, you're going to pull out the other. And so then there was a separation later on. So they coexist. In this world today and even inside of a church, unbelievers and believers can coexist and they can grow but at the day of judgment, there will be a separation between a believer and an unbeliever. But in this story, in this parable, what you're supposed to be reminded of is that it's inescapable, that nobody gets away from it, that nobody swims outside of the net, nobody gets around uh, judgment here. And God was merciful. O oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which killest the prophets and stonest them that sent them, how often should I gather thy children together as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings? And you would not. He says, please come to me, come to me, come to me. And he was merciful. And in this parable, he continues to warn the people. But not only has he warned the people on the seashore, but he's warning the people in the house. Warning people that the gospel, about the gospel and that judgment is coming in the community is merciful. But sitting down in a living room with disciples and making sure that those people understand the urgency, that's also merciful. That's an evangelistic endeavor. When we get together as believers, right now, as I'm reminding a group full of Christians here, for the most part, that we need to remember that this, this judgment's inescapable. This is an act of mercy from God's Word into your life. And that's what he was doing. He was talking to the disciples in his room, and he speaks of a literal hell. And no other doctrine in the Bible do I wish that we could get rid of. Don't you feel that way? But no matter how you feel about it, we don't eliminate it. We didn't create it, and we don't sustain it. Jesus teaches on hell more than any preacher in the Bible. And why is that? Maybe because if it came from anybody but from God, we couldn't believe it. It is just too horrific. It's unimaginable. It goes beyond anything we can fathom. No writer, no poet, nobody has ever drawn a picture of heaven or hell that scratches the surface of how incredibly wonderful heaven is and how horrific 
hell is. And it teaches of a literal hell. Matthew 5 says, The fool shall be in danger of hell fire. Whoever says thou art fool. Is it profitable in Matthew 5.29 that we would pluck out a part of our body instead of being cast into hell? Matthew 23.23 says, To the serpent generation of vipers, you, how do you escape the damnation of hell? We know What we know about hell, quickly, is that there's unrelieved torment. In Luke chapter number 16, the guy says, I just want a drop of water. I just need a little bit of comfort. I know that I'm not getting out of here. I know that I'm not going to get away from it. But I have not had anything that has eased the comfort. Could I get a drop of water? We also, that is not just for the soul. It's not just torment. It's not laying in a grave having awful memories. But it's for the body. Because we should fear that which kills the body and the soul, which is God here. In heaven, we're given a new body to enjoy it because the body we have now would not be able to handle it. That people that will go to hell, the resurrection will be given a new body to endure. Not peacefully, but because this body would burn up. And they have a, they've been equipped with a new body to endure it for all eternity and eternity. The worm dies not. The worm would eat this body, but that new body, the worm eats on it and eats on it and never eats it up. The fire burns and it never burns up as with Moses when he saw the burning bush it burned and burned and it never burned up so are people right now by the millions and billions that are in hell that will never burn up and it is horrific we also find here in a parable it's believed here that maybe Jesus is giving these parables not only as a warning not only because it helps the disciples get a better three-dimensional understanding of truth but in mercy because the more witness that you're given that you reject, there's greater judgment to you. And I don't understand that, but in every time he speaks about the degrees of hell, it has to do with those that had heard the truth and reject it. This week in anger, I heard about a woman who threw her kid off a bridge in Oregon, a six-year-old. And in anger I said, I pray that that little kid crawled into the arms of our Savior and heard these words, you will never see that evil woman again believing that that woman would be separated from God for all eternity and that there would be a special place for her. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible doesn't teach that these degrees of that are for heinous crimes or that one thing is another, even though there's nothing good that can be said about that. But the Bible says those that had the witness and they reject it are worse off than Sodom and Gomorrah. And not having a full understanding about it I can't help but think about people in this room today or those that live in America. You turn on the radio as Steve Morgan did and heard the gospel maybe for the first time or start to get an understanding. You saw Billy Graham on television. You went to a church. You're in here today. How much gospel witness? So in these parables, maybe he is shielding them from more judgment because they're not getting it. And he says, there's no more reason to give pearl before swine because I'm just adding to your judgment here. I was at a funeral earlier this week, and while I was there, I saw a grandfather clock. And on that grandfather clock, it ticks back and forth, and I was asking about how it gets wound up. And you just look at it, tick back and forth, and you have no idea when it's going to stop. It just ticks back and forth, and then it'll stop. I begin to think about my life, and I say I have no idea how tightly wound that I am. My wife thinks I'm pretty tightly wound, all right? doesn't mean I'm going to go for a long time. I don't know. It's just going to go, it's going to go, it's going to go, and then it's going to stop. Some of us get warnings. Many of us don't. But we know that if the net is drawing to us, that it's coming, either he'll come in the rapture, 
And you'll be left behind. The net will be drawn. Maybe in death. But judgment's coming. None of you are going to escape it in here. There's no way to get around it. It is appointed on the man. It's appointed unto woman. It's appointed unto all of us who wants to die. And there's a day and there's a moment that you don't know about, but you will die. Matthew 22 tells a story about people that gather for a wedding and a king looks over there and says, you're not dressed for the wedding. What are you doing here? You're not prepared. And that day is coming and some of you will not be dressed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ and you will not be ready for that day of judgment. Judgment is coming and no one will escape it. Be ready. So first of all, we said in here, be willing that this treasure that Jesus Christ is worth all that we could ever give. Give your life to Him in service. Tell people about what you have found. Just because other people around you have heard it doesn't make it of any less value. Be willing to give anything that you would have to make much of that treasure in your life. And then secondly in here is be ready. The net is being drawn. There's a day of judgment. It's inescapable for every one of us in here. And next week we will look about the inhibitor, the inhibition of unbelief, how unbelief stops us. Why that word? Because it starts with the letter I. And it also means that because what does unbelief do in our lives? Um, so I want to just kind of review in here the inescapable net and also the incredible treasure. And you have some decisions that you need to make um, in here today. Do you recognize the treasure that is found in Him? Have you been ungrateful? And do you continue to be ungrateful to Him? Or have you found the treasure in Jesus Christ? And also the time clock that is there upon the wall. There's an inescapable net and it's being drawn and it's coming and it gives you an, an urgency about the matter and need to remember that. Now I remind you all of in here that are Christians. Where's this parable being told? It's being told in a living room with his disciples because he says, I am teaching you something. I want to make sure do you get it because when we leave this living room, the rest of the world needs to know that you get it, that you understand the treasure that I am, that you understand that the net is being drawn. Do you get it? So Vision Baptist Church this morning, I just ask you, do you get it? Do you understand? Not only understand it, it's just the truth that you can repeat, but you understand it in every direction. Does it really impact your life? When they open up the funeral door and you walk in and everybody's laughing because there's a group of people that get it. They get the gospel. They get the value of the kingdom. And I pray that if you don't get it right now, that before you leave here, you'll get some understanding. That you'll sit down with somebody and you will get understanding about the kingdom and the king that reigns in it. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for preserving it for us. Thank you for allowing me to hold it in your hand. Thank you for the people that are in this room today or that came here to study it because they delight in you. They are grateful for what you have done. They see you as an immeasurable treasure and they want to pour their life out and worship to you and give you everything. And I pray for those in here today that have never seen you as that. They've seen you as a fixer-upper. They've seen you as somebody that helps them out. But they've never seen you as being more valuable than everything that this world has to offer. This message was recorded at Vision Baptist Church in Alfred, Georgia. For more information, log on to www.visionbaptist.com where you can find our service times, location, contact information, and more audio and video recordings.